All right, that was great, man. Don't you love it when the Lord moves them with the kids, man, young people? Man, that's, that's worth it there. You know, because when they get hot, they don't mind spreading the fire. And I'm ready for more fire. How about you? Always. You know, we can't get enough of the Lord, right? I can't anyway. I don't know if it leaks out on, He leaks out on me or what, but I always seem to have this need in my life for more of the Lord, so... We always need to have that kind of heart that we'll never get to the place where we have all of God that we want, right? I mean, we do have all of God that we'll ever need, but it hadn't manifested in our life yet. And actually, that's really what I wanted to talk to you about this morning is uh, something that really the Lord has really put in my life uh, and has, has really has helped me uh, tremendously since the Lord began to speak in this to me and I began to really let it... Uh, it really has a, just a renewing and restoring and healing thing that's happening in my life. Uh, and it has to do with the blood of Jesus. Uh, last uh, time I spoke here, a couple weeks ago, I talked about, if y'all remember, about talking about the blood. And I said that the blood or the cross means the death, the burial, the resurrection, the ascension, and the outpouring of the Spirit. That's when, that's what, that's biblically what the cross means. Okay? It's all of those. It can't be just one of those. It has to be all of those. If you just take one of those out, then you don't have the full, full measure. And so God has been really, when I was in Argentina, He really just made that so real to my life. And I want to just, uh, share some things He's been showing me about the blood of Jesus. That if you will begin to apply this in your life, I, I guarantee you, it'll change your life. I guarantee you that. I guarantee you. And if it don't, you can uh, tell me it didn't work, and you can. I'll quit being the pastor. I'll be happy to, because if the blood doesn't work, nothing works. Okay, so I put a lot of stake on the blood. Anyways, let's read this Exodus four, eighteen through twenty six. It says, uh, "Now this is Moses had a revelation of the Lord. He had the most profound revelation. God talking to him out of a burning bush." And he, you know, had this whole experience with the Lord out there in the desert where God, you know, he had this, you know, he did the leprosy thing when he, ch- he had leprosy on his arm, he stuck it in his shirt and it came out, it was clean, stuck it back in, and, you know, doing all this, had this stick, this rod that he threw down and it became a snake and picked it back up, it stopped being a snake. I mean, it's a pretty powerful experience he had with the Lord. And the Lord commissioned him to go and set Israel free. I mean, that's a major commission in the Bible. That's one of the big important events. In the history of the Bible is when Israel was delivered from Egypt. Because if they didn't get delivered from Egypt, you know, we could be in trouble today. But they did because it was a prophetic picture, you know, Egypt being the world. Okay? And that's really what that was all about. So this is pretty important. So this happened after all of this with the Lord. It says, Moses went and returned to Jethro, his father-in-law, and said to him, Please let me go and return to my brethren who are in Egypt. And see whether they will are still alive. And Jethro said to Moses, Go in peace. Now the Lord said to Moses and Midian, Go return to Egypt, for all the men who sought your life are dead. Then Moses took his wife and his sons and set them on a donkey, and returned to the land of Egypt. And Moses took the rod of God in his hand. That was the rod that became the snake. So he had this rod. That was a pretty important part of his uh, you know, paraphernalia, so to speak. And the Lord said to Moses, when you go back to Egypt, see that you do all those wonders before Pharaoh, which I have put in your hand, but I will harden his heart so that he will not let my, let the people go. And that's pretty high level revelation when God tells you to do something and then he tells you this is what's going to happen. But don't worry about it. You know, it's going to be cool. You know, don't you, we need to get that level of revelation where God's telling us to do stuff and says, but this is what they're going to do. Don't worry. You know, I'm looking for that kind of revelation, not just go do this, like, okay, and, you know, wondering what's going to happen, and, but where he tells details. I think God wants to do that. Amen? I'm, I'm going for that. But I will harden his heart so that he will not let the people go. Then you will say to Pharaoh, Thus says the Lord, Israel is my son, my firstborn. So I say to you, let my son go that he may serve me. But if you refuse to let him go, indeed, I will kill your son, your firstborn. Now, that's a serious statement from the Lord. 
uh, that he said, if you don't do this, I'm going to kill your child, your firstborn. I mean, that's a, I mean, thank God that the Lord doesn't talk like that to us today, that he's not threatening to kill, kill somebody, you know, if we don't do what he tells us to do. But that's what he did in, in that time. That was just how the, that was the mode of operation. And, of course, the Lord did kill his firstborn. He did. He killed every one of every person in Egypt. Their firstborn was killed by this angel that the Lord sent. And that's a whole other story. But he did kill them. And so God was, you know, he was very serious about this deliverance. Just making a point here. And it came to pass on the way at the encampment that the Lord met him, being Moses, and sought to kill him. Now think about it for a minute. It doesn't make, doesn't make a lot of sense. Here the Lord has just commissioned this man. Here's the Lord has anointed this man. Here's the Lord sent him on the greatest mission that to that time had ever happened. And now the Lord's trying to kill him. That's what it says. That don't make a whole lot of sense, right? I mean, God's literally trying to kill Moses. Then Zipporah, Lord have mercy on this woman, took a sharp stone and cut off the foreskin of her son and cast it at Moses' feet and said, Surely... You are a husband of blood to me. So he, capital H, he being God, let him go. I, I think this was what happened. The Lord had a death hold on Moses. Because it said he let him go once this, this circumcision happened. God had a, Moses in a headlock and was squeezing the life. And God was literally killing Moses. Okay? That's, and so then she said, you're a, you're a husband of blood because of the circumstances, you're a husband of blood. So here's this, this thing that God did that He was going to kill this Moses, His servant, the Moses that He loved, Moses that He chose to reveal Himself, and God was going to kill him over not having His son circumcised because God was trying to give a picture of something that was of prime importance in every believer's life, and that's the, the blood of Jesus, that there was a covenant was made. A covenant was made, and in the Bible, a covenant always they always had to be shedding of the blood. And this covenant was made, and because Moses had ignored this covenant, this blood covenant, this blood he had ignored it, he had, he had not put it up on the top of his list. God was out to kill him. Now that that speaks of the heart of God about the blood, where God is is trying to make a statement to mankind that the blood of, the blood of Christ. It's preeminent in our life. And no matter how much of a calling any of us have, and no matter how many miracles, no matter how much power, no matter how much authority that God gives any person, He was trying to make us get something clear. But if, if the blood is not more important in your life, it is, if it doesn't have preeminence in your life, then I'm not going to be excited about that in your life. I would try to kill you or I today. But let me show you something in the New Testament. Are you all with me today? In other words, he was saying, Moses, you have forgotten one of the, the, the most important thing there is in your life. And because you've forgotten it, it has opened you up to something. Uh, 1 Corinthians eleven twenty-seven through 31. Now, this is talking about the Lord's Supper. And, and we decided, we being me, decided not to do this today because I want you to see this spiritually, not just a, something that we, uh, a ceremony that the church does, a great ceremony that we should do. Therefore, whoever eats this bread or drinks this cup of the Lord in an unworthy manner will be guilty. Now, this is New Testament. Will be guilty of the body and blood of the Lord. Now, the most unworthy thing we could do is not place the value on the blood, body and blood of Jesus that God places on it. That's, that's what he's saying. If we don't place the same value on it, see, that's what I want to, I want, this is ultimately what I'm trying to get you to see, is how God values the body and blood of Jesus more than anything else, period. And he's saying to us, you have to value it the way I value it. And that's why he's gone through all this trouble trying to kill Moses and and then he says, but let a man examine himself, and so let him eat of the, of the bread and drink of the cup. For he who drinks in an unworthy manner and eats and drinks, eats and drinks judgment to himself. In other words, if this thing is nothing, when we do literal communion, if it is nothing but a simple ceremony that you're going through the motions, then you are bringing judgment upon yourself. You are opening yourself up to something that's not going to be good for you. That's, that's what it says. Uh, 
For he who eats and drinks in an unworthy man eats and drinks judgment to himself, not discerning the Lord's body. For this reason, now get this, for this reason. Now this is New Testament. This is Paul talking to believers. I'm talking, and guess what kind of believers he was talking to? He was talking to Holy Ghost believers. He was talking to people who were sold out for the Holy Ghost. I mean, the Corinthians were the most Holy Ghost people in the Bible. If we could find any church that we were most like, hopefully close to being like or wanting to be like, in terms of spiritual, it was the it was Corinthians. They're a very spiritual crowd. They were a little carnal too, but, you know, Lord have mercy on them. You know, <laughs> you can be carnal and be non-Holy Ghost, trust me. You know, anyways, that's something else. For this reason, many are weak and sick among you. Many are weak and sick among you, and many sleep. He's not talking about taking a nap. He's talking about people literally dying. Premature death. Premature death because people have not put the value on the blood. I'm talking anointed people. There have been anointed people. There was a man named Harry Greenwood. I don't know. Probably y'all don't never heard of Harry Greenwood. Harry Greenwood was from England. This man walked in the anointing that was incredible. He would go and listen. I love these Harry Greenwood stories. He would go in a restaurant. The Lord would say, "Go to that restaurant and eat you the best meal they go and play." And he said, "I don't have a dime." He said, "Go anyway." He would go sit down at his plate, order the most expensive steak in the room and eat it and enjoy it. Didn't have no money. He would get up to go pay his bill, not have any money. When we'd get there, there would be somebody there say, "Let me pay your bill today, sir." It happened to him over and over. He had numerous healings. It's like miracles. He walked in great faith. Harry Greenwood had a heart attack in his 50s and died. Something happened in Harry Greenwood. And I always like, why? This was a faith man. This is a man who walked in miracles of unprecedented proportion. And he died in the 50s. I wonder. Right, Peter Marshall. Y'all ever heard of Peter Marshall? Right? Catherine Marshall. He was a, a great Presbyterian minister. And he became the, the, the chaplain to the United States Senate for a couple of years. He was an awesome man. Died of a heart attack in his 50s. You know, so you wonder, why? Why, Lord, why? You wonder, have, have, have we, as the church, as we as individuals, I don't have anything to say, no comment on these people, because I don't know, but I'm just saying, the Bible says people fall asleep. People have weakness in their life. People have sickness in their life because... They're not esteeming the blood. They're not esteeming the body. Okay? The way God does. And he's saying that's how important this is to you and me. That, that, that's kind of scary, isn't it? Uh, for this reason, for if we would judge ourselves, we would not be judged. So here's, here's the thing. Here's the thing. I want to say this. Every day of your life, you should have communion. Okay? Every day of your life, you should have communion. I'm not talking about... Uh, getting a bottle of wine and, and, and saltine crackers and physically doing unless you feel, you know, uh, Johnny Cash was big into that. I don't know if y'all know about Johnny, but Johnny was, he got spiritual in his old age, and he would literally do communion. Every, he would get him a glass and a cup and, and do this. I actually tried that for a couple of weeks one time just to see. Well, that was interesting. If Johnny Cash can do this, heck, I can do it. You know, I'm more spiritual than him. I got through about the eighth day, and I realized I'm just like him, and Going there and let me do this right quick and then get my coffee. I gotta hurry up and get the coffee and you know because I, I just gotta get through this. I gotta do this thing, you know, because I'm because Johnny Cash was doing it. It didn't do it. I finally quit, okay, because this is a ridiculous. This is a joke, you know. This ain't real. So, but if it's real to you, you can. But I'm telling you, there's something real you and I can do every day of life. We can do this. This is how the Lord's helped me. It means it, celebrate the body, celebrate the death of Christ. Every day of my life, I can celebrate what He's done for me on the cross. And every, every day of my life, I can evaluate myself. And every day of my life, I can rededicate myself based on what He's done, based on the blood, based, based on that. So every day, we can actually have a communion service with the Lord where we, every day, eat His body and drink His blood. And we should be doing that because when we begin to do that, when we begin to put preeminence on the body and blood of Jesus in our life, something will happen to you. you something happens on the inside of you when you begin to lay hold of this. Okay? Now, let's read uh, this. Uh, John uh, six fifty six. Are y'all engaging in this on any level? This is what Jesus said. You know, in John 15, it says... 
you know, this whole thing about abiding in, you know, you're the branches and I'm the vine and all this abiding stuff and fruit. And I don't know about you, but I was used to ask for years, how in the heck do you abide? I mean, it does me no good for you to tell me if I would, if I would abide, I would be a fruitful person. And I don't even know how to abide. Come on. You know, and I came up with all these answers. Like, if I pray more and if I give you know, give alms to the poor. You know, whatever. If I do all that stuff, I'll be good. That's abiding. I found out uh, that's just, that's part of the fruit. I mean, I'm sort of getting things backwards. And it, it didn't work. But Jesus right here says explicitly, this is how you abide. He who eats my flesh and drinks my blood abides in me and I in him. In other words, what Jesus was saying, this is the only way. You can have a relationship with me, period. And that's what he was saying. This is the way to relationship. This is the way to communion. This is the way to fellowship. Is abiding, is, is eating my flesh and drinking my blood by faith spiritually. And as you do that, something happens. Now, what we try to do as, as believers, most of us, probably all of you, unless you're really a very wise Christian, have you ever just thought about this? I was having this kind of, Lord, here, daggone, Lord. Why did it take me so long to get this stuff? It's clearly in the Bible. It's clearly stated. I've read it a thousand times. I've heard people preach on it. It never made a difference in my life, though. Why did it take me so long, Lord, to get revelation that's life-changing for me? You know, like I'm a new creature, new creature in Christ. Why did it take me 30-something years to finally realize... That's the truth, and I'm something different, and I can be something, and I live from that. I don't know why it took so long, but you know, but it did. That's just my experience. But I'm seeing a generation that's getting revelation fast. That's what I'm seeing. They getting stuff that took me thirty something years. They're just getting it. Oh man, they're you know getting revelation on the Father's love. They're getting all these key revelations that will radically, utterly, utterly change their life. Quickly, can you imagine where they're going to be like 30 years from now if the Lord tarries? I mean, they will be just tearing hell apart. I mean, they'll probably be doing visitations in the hell. Like going down there and just slapping demons around and coming back. I mean, that's what I'm thinking. Man, when they're 50 years old, they'll be beating the devil. The devil, no wonder the devil's trying to kill them. You know, because he sees the future and he sees these are some bad, these people are going to be bad for me. Well, let's look at the very first person. Uh, well, anyways, back, you know, how many people have tried to have a relationship with God? You know, if I do these things, you know, if I just pray more, if I get up early enough, if I fast enough, if I read enough of the Bible, whatever it is, whatever in your mind you do to have this relationship with God that you hunger for, you desire, and you do all that, and it just winds up being nothing over and over and over. You might go for a while, and it's good, and it's nice, and you feel good about it, and you think everything's good, and then you wake up one day, and you wonder, where the heck is God? Why do I feel so lonely? Where, why do I feel so abandoned? Has anybody had that experience? We've all had it. Well, this is what happens. We've messed up. We've not realized that Jesus says, this is the way you have a relationship with me. There's only one way. There's no other way. And if you don't do it the prescribed way, you won't have this relationship. It's through His blood. So I wanted to read the first guy in the Bible who tried to have a relationship without the blood. Okay? And it was our friend Cain, uh, Genesis 4, 1 through 7. Are y'all good out there? Because I'm telling you, if you take this message and you make it a reality in your life, your life will change. One of the things that I've noticed in my life has changed for me is I love Jesus a heck of a lot more now than I did two months ago. It really creates a, a passion and a love in your heart for Him. And there's nothing like loving Jesus. Okay? That's a really wonderful feeling. You know when you're in love with somebody, if, like if you fall in love with a person, right? You know, people fall, y'all fall in love with somebody somewhere. Everybody has. It, maybe it was puppy love, but there was this emotion of love. That's a good feeling. And when you have those feelings towards the Lord, I'm, that's a good day. Because love is an emotion. Now Adam knew, his, knew Eve, his wife, and she conceived and bore Cain and said, I have acquired a man from the Lord. Then she bore again, this time his brother Abel. Now Abel was a keeper of sheep, but Cain was a tiller of the ground. Now this is no commentary on occupation, because at that time there were basically two occupations, livestock and gardening. 
Okay, so they were both really doing great. They, those were great jobs to have since they were the only jobs that existed. You know? And in the process of time, it came to pass that Cain brought an offering. Now listen, he brought an offering of the fruit of the ground to the Lord. Okay? Abel also brought of the firstborn of his flock and of their fat. The firstborn and of their fat, meaning this. You ain't going to get a hold of no fat unless you kill it. That's how you access the fat, is you kill it and, you know. So there was this bloodshed, okay? And this is what it says. Um, And the Lord respected Abel and his offering. Notice it said the Lord respected Abel and his offering. He didn't just say the Lord respected his offering. He said he respected him and what he did. Because what he did is he killed an animal and shed blood and gave that animal to the Lord, brought the fat of that animal to the Lord. Okay? Uh, But that's not the end of the story. Uh, But he did not respect Cain and his offering. Again, he did not respect Cain because Cain came to the Lord... trying to have a relationship with God, offering Him the fruits of His labor. And the Lord said, because of that, I don't respect you and I don't respect what you brought. Now, that's a bad day when God doesn't have respect for you. Okay? So you see what God was trying to tell us. Thank God for Cain and Abel. I mean, that they had to go through all that and we don't. But thank God He was trying to tell us, listen, this is important. This is how you're going to have bear to come to me. This is how you're going to have this relationship with me. It's through the blood. And if you don't, there's going to be a respect issue. Okay? Um, and it says, And Cain was very angry, and his countenance fell. See, that's really what happens with a lot of people, is they get this frustration in their life spiritually, because what you know God's not responding the way they want God to, or the way they thought God to. But it all it goes back, because we're trying to get God to respond to us based on something that we've done instead of based on the blood. You see that? God will respond to the blood, period. It doesn't matter what you did. He's going to respond to the blood of Christ. And so we, everything we do, we can't bring that to God like an offering to get like, oh, look what I've done, Lord. Aren't you happy with me? You know, I've done all these things you've told me to do. You know, and I've been, I haven't been sinning. And I've been being nice to Becky. You know, and I've been nice to these people I really can't stand. And, you know, and, and I've really... Not really sin, even though I've messed with it in my mind a little bit, I've sort of kept away from it. Aren't you happy with me? And you know what the Lord says? Not really. No, I'm not happy about that, Byron. I tell you what I am happy. I'm happy about the blood. Okay? I'm happy about the blood of Jesus. That's what makes me happy. That's what causes me to respect you. And so the Lord said to Cain, why are you angry? Well, what I want to say is, often we get frustrated and we pull away from God. That's what all that stuff does. It makes us push God away. Because God's not doing what we thought He should do. And what He's trying to say, I'm not going to do it anyway because you're trying to get me to do something based on what you've done. And the only way I'm going to operate is through the blood. So if the blood ain't there, I'm not doing it. That's really what He was trying to tell Cain. So the Lord said to Cain, why are you angry? Now be careful when the Lord asks a question. Because God does ask questions. Not because He's like, what? what's wrong with him? Why is, he, why is he mad? You know, I can't understand why he's mad. Not that kind of question. He's trying to help Cain. So when the Lord asks you a question, He's trying to help you. And He's been asking some questions lately. And why has your countenance fallen? If you do well, will you not be accepted? In other words, He was saying, Cain, this is the way I'm going to accept you. This is, is the blood. The blood is what's going to make you acceptable. And that's all. And if you do not do well, sin lies at the door and it's desires for you. But you should rule over it. In other words, ultimately, if we are not making the blood the most important thing, if we're not depending on the blood, the body and blood of Jesus, ultimately, sin sin's going to get, get to us. It's going to, because it's out there. It's waiting on us. You know, and if we're not under the blood, and the blood is not, not the main thing in our life, the most important thing in our life like it is with God, then it gives the enemy access to us. Are you, are you hearing what I'm saying? Uh, the Bible says in 1 John 3.12 that Cain's works were evil. That's how God felt about that. He feels like anything that we try to do to please him, to try to have access to him, apart from the blood, is evil in his eyes. And Abel's works were righteous. All right, let's look at, let's shift over to the, are y'all good still? There's four people that are good. Bless them, Lord. Uh, Ephesians 2.13 2, um, 
Woo, thank you, Jesus. Am I going fast? I'm trying to. But now in Christ Jesus, I'm going fast. I'm getting done here. But now in Christ Jesus, you who were once far off have been what? Brought near by what? The blood of Christ. The blood of Jesus. The blood of Jesus Christ. It's, that's how we come near to God when we receive Christ. He brings us near to, to us. And I think we would all say yes to that. Yes and amen. And we continue to say yes and amen. The problem is... I've been a Christian for 30-something years now. That was a long time ago when I got brought near to God. What's bringing me near today? How do I get close to God today? That's the key for us that know God. Is how do we continually come to God? How do we continually come into His presence? How do we continually have a relationship with Him? It's the blood of Jesus. All right, Rhonda, you're just so smart, I can't hardly stand it. And Rhonda won that con- If you don't get that basket out there, I'm getting it. Because that was a temptation. I go see it. Man, I'd like to get that stuff out of that bag. <laughs> for, for, for almost two weeks now, I've looked at that bag over there that Rhonda has left there that's got all that goody stuff and your coupons. And... <laughs> Lou Ann. Lou Ann had all that coffee. She did give some of it away. I got a bag of it. <laughs> I got a little bag of it and a little bag. Anyway, here's, here it is. Hebrews 10, 19 through 23. Yeah. It says this, Therefore, brethren, talking to believers, brethren, having boldness to enter the holiest by what? The blood of Jesus. Now listen to me. Here's what is a remarkable thing. A lot of people are struggling when you talk about having heavenly visitations. Oh, I just can't have that. That don't happen to me. You know, I can't go up into heaven. You know, I can't, I don't have these these. You know, I'm not seeing these angels. Man, I'm telling you what it says it right here. We can have boldness to go into the very presence of heaven by the blood of Jesus. You see, there ain't no other way in there. I'm talking about there ain't no way in there. Ultimately, there's no other way in there. You and I can access the heavenly realm by the blood of Jesus right now, today. In other words, if you really want to come into having these encounters with the Lord, which hopefully you do, because they're kind of nice to have, you have a way. You can boldly, it says right here, having boldness to enter the holiest, the most holy. And I'm not talking about, some people say, oh, well, that's just, you know, that's just spiritually, and, you know, you're just seated with Christ in the heavenly place just spiritually. And that is exactly right. It is spiritually. And I want to enter in spiritually because I want to see spiritually. I want to experience spiritually, which means I can do that today. I can go into that heavenly realm today, right now. Any one of us in this room could go in there. But there's only one thing that will take you in there. So if you really want to know the secret to visitations, to visions, to dreams, to seeing angels, to seeing the Lord Himself, any of that, it's right here. It's the blood of Jesus. That gives you and I total access to God all the time. And there's no argument against it. It says, by new, are y'all good with that? It's exciting to me. You should be excited if you've been one of these people who couldn't, couldn't engage in this and you struggled with this. You can start appealing to the blood. Okay? But, this, but also this, the blood is what keeps us close to God. That's how we continue in our relationship with God every day of your life. Every day of your life. Every day of your life, like and I may have said it, but I'll say it again, you and I can have communion with the Lord. Every day we apply the blood to our life. Every day we come to God with the blood. We believe in the blood. We believe the blood has power to bring us into His presence. And when we do that, guess what happens? I'm telling you, guess what happens when we trust it and believe it? We come into His presence. And the manifest presence of God will begin to come in your life and you'll begin to experience your, quote, quiet time will no longer be, quote, a quiet time unless you get slain in the Spirit. You know, it will, it will be a dynamic encounter with the Lord where you're talking to God and you have this friendship and relationship with Him. And that's really what He's desiring and hungering for with us. But He says, this is the way you do it. You do it through the blood. Now listen, by a new and living way which He consecrated for us through the veil that is His flesh. Okay, this veil of the temple when Jesus died that was ripped from top to bottom. You know, the Bible talks about that in Luke. This, this veil was ripped, this big thick veil that in the natural separated separate the people in the temple from being able to go into the holy place. 
Well, that was just a joke, really. I mean, anybody could tore that veil. We could have got that veil torn down. We got a bunch of big, strong men and just got it out of the way. But they were talking about something. They were talking about the flesh of Jesus. The body of Jesus was torn open. Now, I'm telling you, that's why this is important. Jesus' body was ripped apart so you and I can go and see God and go and talk to God and go have a relationship with God. Okay? When Jesus took that beating, you know, that... 49-stripe beating, was 39 stripes. When he took that beating, his body was being torn apart. And so as Christians, I'm telling you, here's the revelation from God that we need to get. We don't have to walk in dryness. We don't have to walk a life where we feel like God is distant and where we don't feel like God is near and we don't feel like we have this communion with God. That's a lie from hell. Because Jesus died and He got ripped apart so we could. Now, you can sit here all day long and convince yourself in your mind, well, I'm going through this brokenness thing, I'm going through this and that, and we've made those theologies so huge. We've made them bigger than the blood. Okay? We've made them bigger. Because you can go through brokenness, you can go through times of being a base, but still have communion with the Lord. That's really what God has for us. And, that, and it's the blood that does it. And so what the Christians need to do is get back to the, where we're dependent on the blood of Jesus and the broken body of Jesus, the torn body of Jesus, where we're dependent on that to get us through and get us, get us to God. You know, you know, I shared that last time about the thorn thing. You know, the crown of thorns on our heads. Like when you're suffering in your mind, you know, where you're depressed or you're just feeling bad, you know, in your mind, you're having a struggle in your life. It was the throne. You, you, what you do is this. I, I share this, I think. Is I, I'm, when I'm having a hard time in my mind, I look at, I see in my mind's eye, I see Christ. I see Him with that crown of thorns on, on Him. I see it. And I see those soldiers mocking Him and beating Him in the head, just beating Him in the head. That's what I see. And I say, Lord, I do not have to stay in this state mentally. I don't have to because you took that on you. You took that in your mind. You took the psychological beating that I don't have to take. So I'm making this exchange. I'm trusting what you did there. And Don Casperson, he's not here today. I wish he would have been. He told me about those thorns. Those thorns are like, not like a rosebush thorn here. These were mean thorns. These thorns, that they, were, they sort of wrapped around, and you had to pull them literally apart. And when you they placed them on his head, they, just, they forced themselves in. It's like two-inch long thorns. You know, that just wrapped, and they would wrap around, whatever they were wrapped around, they were wrapped around tight, where it literally took energy, like a spring, to pull them apart. And when they placed that on Jesus' head, I mean, it just grabbed into his head, and didn't those guys beat his head? And we want to go around thinking that we can't have the mind of Christ after he did that, after Jesus went through that, we say we can't have the mind of Christ, we can't access his thoughts. That's a lie from hell. It has to be. It has to be a lie. It has to be a lie. We say we can't access the throne of God after He got beat senseless. The Bible says that He was a freak. He looked like a freak. He didn't look like a human being. And we sit back and think we're separated from God after He went through that. That's insane for us to think that. So when I don't feel close to God, I remember, I think about Him. I think about them men beating Him and beating Him. And every time that thing would hit Him, I told you this, I think, and you probably have heard this before, but they would pull it, and it had those rocks and bones in it, and they'd pull it, and it would rip big chunks of His flesh off of His body. That was the veil. That was the veil. And we're going to sit around here, we don't feel close to God. After he ripped, had allowed himself to be ripped apart like that. And then every time somebody comes and insults you, makes you feel bad about yourself, and tells you, you know, some ugly thing about you, and those people, it says they mocked Jesus as they beat him in the head. And they grabbed his beard. They grabbed his beard and literally ripped his beard. And it ripped chunks out of his face. Now that's a frontal assault on a person. And we think just because somebody says bad things to us, and he's saying, no, they did more than say bad things. And we can say, Lord, you went through this. You went through this worse than I ever went through this. You see, when we begin to do that, something will happen in your life. It has to happen or the blood ain't real. And our whole Christianity is a false, it's a lie. We built it all on a lie, but we didn't. 
I'm telling you, I'm telling you, this will change your life. This will make you a different person. Okay? It will make you a different person. It's, because, it's saying this. Your blood is what's important in my life. Your blood is more important than anointing. It's more important than miracles. It's more important than any of it. Your blood is the most important thing in my life. And I'm going to make it the most important thing in life. And I'm going to purposely, every day of my life, I'm going to purposely allow the blood. I'm going to remember. I'm going to think about it. I'm going to allow it to have an effect on me. I'm going to say, bring, bring the blood on. Bring it on. I want you to put it in my mind because I'm thinking bad thoughts. Are y'all through with me? Are y'all through with me? <laughs> and it says in verse 21, having a high priest over the house of God, let us draw near, let us draw near to God with a true heart and full assurance of faith. Now let me just tell you this. This is what I read this morning. This is powerful. Uh, John, John 9, it's wonderful. John 9, verse 1. It says that Jesus was passing by and saw a blind man. He saw a blind man. That blind man couldn't even see Jesus. But Jesus saw him. And when I read that, it just tore my heart up because I have thought about the times in my life and probably even now where I'm blind, I don't see something. But you know what? He sees me. He sees you. And He comes to you. And then down later, after that guy had been healed of his blindness and thrown out of the, the church, the synagogue, Jesus says that Jesus found him. He went looking for that man. That's what He did. That's what His heart is. He's looking for us. He sees us. He's always reaching out to us, wanting a relationship with us. And we think God is way out there somewhere. This is the most amazing thing I've ever read. Jesus saw the blind man. You think that's in the Bible? He was, oh, hey, there's a blind guy. No, it says Jesus looked at him. Jesus saw him. He was looking for that blind man. He was looking for him when that blind man couldn't look for Jesus. And then after he had been rejected, the blind man, for believing and putting a harsh, putting a really rebuke on all the leaders, Jesus went and found him. Went and found him. See, that's what God's doing. He's looking for people. He's looking for lost people. He's looking for, for me this morning. He's looking for me this morning. When I don't feel close to God, God's looking for me. And when I'm going after God, He's saying, Bird, you think you're coming after me? I'm coming, I've been coming after you from creation past. I've always been coming after you because I want to be with you. Because I love you. And when you begin to meditate on the blood of Jesus and the broken body of Jesus, that's why I'm saying it makes you love Jesus because you see how much He does love you and see what He's done to help you, you know, have a relationship with Him. It's powerful. Let me ask you a question this morning. You know, there's another little story that's really profound. I'm sure some of you have probably had this happen to you. I have. Uh, there was a woman caught in the, the Bible says the very act of adultery. In other words, they walked in on this woman in bed with another man that she shouldn't have been in bed with having sex with him. It's getting real here. It says we call her in the very act. Okay? In the very act. And everybody wanted to kill her. Because that was the way the rules were that day. You die if you do something like that. And Jesus, you know, He dealt with all them, them crazy people and got them out of there. You know, started doing stuff in the ground, writing stuff. Probably writing, I heard one guy say he's writing their sins down. Starting with the oldest, it says. Start with the oldest one wrote down, okay, um, you know, in 1974 you was doing this. You know, and hey, Jack, 1983, you did that. Oh, I'm out of here, man. I can't deal with that. You know, and they left. And then it was just Jesus. Says it was just Jesus and her. And the Lord said, where are your accusers? Where are your accusers? And she said, they're gone. He said, I don't accuse you. I don't condemn you. Just don't sin no more. Now that's, has you ever heard the Lord, has the Lord ever said that to you after you sinned? Have you ever had that experience where you sinned? I mean, you sinned. You just didn't make a smart... I mean, you really sinned. I don't know about you, but I have. And I've heard the Lord say, Byron, I do not condemn you. Now, this is the truth. This is what He said to me after He told me that. He said, listen, this, the blood of Jesus, is not a license to sin. Okay? But I have given you a license to choose. That's what He said to me. I've given you a license to choose. I have given everybody a license to choose. We all get to choose. We can choose Him. We can choose what He's done for us. Or we can choose all this other crazy stuff that doesn't work. 
you know, we can choose depression, we can choose all this other stuff, or we can choose, oh, I've got I to gotta please the Lord because I'm such a, a bad sinner now. I've got to work my way back into His good grace. We can choose all that, or we can say, no, you know what, I'm going to believe in the blood. I'm going to believe in the power of God. And you know what it does when you start believing? It makes you where you don't want to sin. You know, that's what it does. That's the beauty of it. That's, that's the power of it. I'm telling you, it works. Anyways, uh, ain't the Lord good, though? Woo! Thank you, Jesus. I need to hear that one uh, about the being condemned thing. And you do, too, if you'll be honest. Uh, here's this. Having our hearts sprinkled from an evil conscience and our bodies washed with pure water. Right quick. Evil conscience. This is what an evil conscience is. Because I was wondering, what is this evil conscience thing? Well, evil conscience is this. Evil conscience calls wrong right and right wrong. It can't discern the difference. Now, have you know, do you know people who have evil consciences? I know Christians who have evil consciences. I know Christians who are doing things and they are saying, I'm doing this because, well, I'm doing this because my wife was mean to me. Or I'm doing this because of what my parents did to me. That is an evil conscience. I'm just telling you that right now. And so what the blood will do for you, the blood will wash your heart, cleanse your heart, where you can say, you know what, what I'm doing is wrong, period. No matter what anybody else did, you know, and that stuff needs to be dealt with in my heart. I need my heart healed, but I don't need to say, I don't need to justify my actions. You hearing what I'm saying to you? That's an evil conscience. And that's really a lot of Christians are afflicted with evil consciences. Because there's not a one of us in this room who haven't sinned and tried to say, Lord, well, the reason I did it was. And in your mind, you start trying to justify it, right? Isn't that what we do? Well, there's an evil conscience at work. But when that begins to happen in your mind, here's what you do. Lord, I ask you to forgive me. Put the blood on my heart and take that evil conscience away. And guess what will happen? All of a sudden you'll think, oh, Lord, I'm just so sorry. I was, I was wrong. I'm sinful. Forgive me. Because your conscience suddenly will be free from evil because the blood will wash it all right off. I'm telling you, the blood works. And this is another thing about the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit responds to the blood. Okay? That's why in the Bible, when I told you what the cross was, it's the death, the burial, the, resurre- the resurrection, the ascension, and then the outpouring of the Spirit, that's the last step, okay? Because when the, when the Holy Spirit sees the blood, then He goes to work. So whenever I, this is what I know to be true. When I really get real with God and let the blood, bring the blood into my life and embrace the blood, the Holy Spirit always lets me know I'm on the right track. Do you have a thing in you where the Holy Spirit sort of does something to you? Maybe to everybody it's a little different. Where you know God is liking this. God is happy with this. He's feeling good about this. Something happened to me. My mind will start getting this thing in it where it just gets uh, activated. I don't know what, how to say it. It's, I, it's hard to describe. It's like this lightness comes. This washing comes. And, and, and then there's something down here deep. I feel this thing in me deep. And I know that's the Holy Spirit saying, yes, I'm witnessing to this. I am witnessing to the blood. I'm witnessing to what you're feeling and what you're believing. That's the kind of relationship God wants us to have with Him. Where He'll witness to us on the inside that we are with Him and that we are headed in the right direction. I'm excited about this. Let us hold fast, okay, the confession of our hope without wavering. The confession, the speaking forth. See, we need to be saying this stuff to the Lord. Lord, I believe in the blood this morning. Well, Lord, I spent years in my life. I'd wake up in the morning, and I would, Becky said, you're messed up, aren't you? How did you know the way you walk? I can tell when you're messed up. <laughs> the years I spent my life like that. It's because I wake up in the morning, I have this dismal thing on me. Okay? And this is what I learned. When I feel that way, Lord Jesus, I see the crown of thorns on your head. I see them deep in you. I see your blood. I just receive that into my own mind right now. Something happens. Something happens. That dismal feeling goes away. Hope comes into my heart. My circumstances may not be a bit different. I still may have to go face the thing that I was really avoiding, wanting to avoid. But something happened to me. The blood of Jesus did what it does. It cleansed me. It renewed me. It restored me. It made me see different. Suddenly I'm starting to see things from God. Oh, that's what that means. It's not as bad as I thought. Oh, God's going to get me through this. I got hope. I got dreams. I got faith coming forth. I believe that. And you see, that's what we can do as believers. We can really have this kind of life. Jesus said we can have an abundant life the way we have the abundant life 
is the body and blood of Jesus. Embracing it. Eating it. Drinking it. Making it the most important. Not being like Moses. Not being like the Corinthians. You know, making it the thing in our life. And if we'll do that, the Bible says, He who promised, that's what it says. Joe Sheasley, that's what it says. It says, He who promised is faithful. Now, you can say what you want to say. You can act like what you want to act. You can believe what you want. But the Bible says, He who promised. He put a promise on His blood. Okay? He put a promise on it. He said, and I'm faithful to fulfill that. So, if you don't have a good relationship with the Lord today, He who promised is faithful. You can go to the blood and say, I don't have a good relationship with you. I'm sorry. He who promised is faithful. And, and he will, the blood will go to work in your life. But I want to encourage all of us, okay? No matter what, you may be flying high with God. You may be close to God. You know how you stay close? You stay with the blood. You, you, you don't do all this other crazy stuff. Let the crazy stuff be down the line. Like, that's the fourth thing I'm going to do because of the blood. You know? But I'm going to let the blood of Jesus have its way in me. And I, I want to say this one more time. This works. This works. Reading the Bible doesn't always work. Praying doesn't always work. Okay? Getting prayed for doesn't always work. People who get blasted by the Holy Spirit, I know some people who got blasted by the Holy Spirit and went to a motel right after and had immoral acts. It doesn't always work. But the blood always works. Now, we had to keep choosing it. Amen? I'm telling you. Yeah, there's power. Blood never loses its power. Let's, let me pray for you, okay? Are y'all good? All right. It's only two minutes after one. Yeah. Stand up. Stand up while you can. <laughs> Get out of here. <laughs> Listen, the blood always works. If you've got a breakdown in relationship, the blood works. It's the answer. God has an answer for us this morning. You know, God has an answer for the United States this morning. God has an answer. It's the blood of Jesus. It's the broken body. Think about these things. Go back and read those Scriptures about Jesus being crucified and dwell on them, meditate on them, think on them. Let it become a daily part of your life. Let it become a daily part of your life. Every day. And no matter what situation is, you can think of one of those things He said or something that happened to Him while He was dying on the cross. And I'll tell you, and let it be real in your life. Let it become a reality. And it really will change your life. It really will. It'll make you love Jesus. So, Father, I just pray right now. Uh, thank you for, for the blood. Thank you for the cross. And I pray that we would be... Uh, I just pray you just give us revelation. Lord, we, it, Lord, it does nobody in this room any good to just read it in the Bible. It does nobody in, in this room to hear about, just hear about my experience, Lord, unless we lock in on it for ourselves, if we, unless we lay hold of this for ourselves, Lord, and you did this for every person in this room, Lord, let those in this room who feel lonely and who feel rejected and feel like they don't measure up, let them know that you see them and you're going to after them, you want to touch them, you want to help them, that you're looking for them, God, make it real in our life, Lord. Make it real. Make it real to all of us, Lord. Make the blood real. Make Your promises real, Lord, in our lives, Lord. Make the power of the cross real to us again, Lord. And let us, just like we've trusted You of our souls, we've trusted You of our salvation, let us trust You with our, with, our, with, with our life, with our revelation, with our communion, with our fellowship with You, Lord, and with our callings and purposes and destiny. Lord, because I know the blood has an answer. I thank you for that this morning, Lord. And uh, if any of the Bible says, you know, I want to get, share this little testimony that happened to me Wednesday night. Uh, we had a meeting uh, before the breakthrough meeting. And I was just fine and happy. I walked in that meeting and this, this thing, this pressure came into my heart area. I felt this pressure and it went all up into my jaw and it was terrible. I couldn't. It's like I felt like I was dying or something. I thought I was thinking, "Am I having a heart attack?" I was just struggling, and and I was just, "This is awful." And I managed to get through the meeting, but there was no relief. And I, I went home and I ate a bowl of cereal for supper, and thinking maybe I just need to eat something. You know how you just figure out something here. Then I came back in here for the meeting, and literally 
somebody was talking to me and my head felt like it was going to explode. It hurt so bad. And I had to go in here to this meeting and had to. That's the way it felt at moment because I was in such pain in my, in my head. And, you know, there's music. Just that little bit of music that he's playing would have just, it felt like it was going to explode in my mind. I, hurt, I was hurting so bad. And I sat there for a while. I said, Lord, I, I can't, I can't be in here, Lord. I'm, I, this is going to kill me. My head feels like it's going to explode. I feel like I can't breathe. And Lord, please heal me. And I got down on my face and just said, Lord, heal me. And I began to think about Jesus being beaten. And I began to think about by his stripes we were healed. And I was instantly, instantly healed. The Lord healed. Nobody, I didn't say a word to anybody. And I stood up from the floor and I was completely healed. I went from thinking, maybe I'm having a heart attack and I need to go get, go to the hospital, you know, to being completely healed. I'll tell you today, it was the blood of Jesus that healed me. It's by His stripes I was healed. So I'm saying this to you because this morning, if, if you need healing, I want you to see Him laid over and beaten. I want you to see that, and I want you to see what he said. I've healed you by my stripes. My blood is sufficient. If you're depressed today, or you got, or having problems with your in your the realm of your mind, I want you to know. I want you to think about the thorns, and how he wants to heal you. You know, or if you're just you feel far from God, the blood will bring you near to God. We wanted to just. I know many of you already got in prayer, the children, and they got the fire. But if you are one of these people who would like some prayer on this, on what I'm saying to you, would you just you please come forward right now, and we're going to pray for you and believe and, and trust in what I have just said. Trust that the blood of Jesus, the broken body of Jesus, will do its work in your life. I believe He will. I trust in this today. I trust in the blood. I trust in the power of the cross over mine and your life today. So if you just come up, and we're going to have people lay hands on you and, and pray, and God will, will do what God does. And I want to just pray for the rest of you and just release you. Father, in the name of Jesus, let your face shine on us. Uh, make the cross a glorious thing to us. It's the power of God unto salvation under total healing, total wholeness, and total prosperity in our life. And I ask you just to release the knowledge of that on every person in this room. Thank you for the day. Thank you for touching the young people. Um, And you can come back Wednesday night and they'll be praying for you again. Amen.